for the Moon. I am Taylor Bledsoe. And I'm Maddie Henry. And on this podcast, we interview interesting people from a teenage perspective. That's right. And today we'll be interviewing David Epstein, who is a New York Times bestselling author of The Sports Gene and the book Range. So here's the interview. Welcome, Mr. David. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you wrote an incredible book, Range, and you also wrote another incredible book, The Sports Gene. So I've read Range, and we were just wondering, we had a few questions about kind of the topics of both the books. And one of you mentioned all kinds of stuff, like basically, why should you try new things? And, you know, what what was the thinking behind wanting to write these books? Like, did you see a particular interest? That like what what led you to it? Well, sort of. I've, I've always been interested in in human performance um, in general, whether that's athletically or or you know intellectually. And for range, particularly when I had been I had been in my past life training to be a scientist, and then I became uh, the science writer at Sports Illustrated magazine. And at the time, there was this growing, very influential theory that some people know as the ten thousand hours rule. This idea that you need to like pick you know, you need to know what you're going to be. You pick that and you do only that and ignore everything else. And since I was the science writer, I decided to go look at the science behind this. Again, I was at a sports magazine, so I was looking particularly at how athletes develop. And I was surprised to find that what the research showed is that the athletes who go on to become the best, obviously there's all sorts of paths to the top, but what they typically have is what scientists call a sampling period where they do a wide variety of activities that can be multiple sports. It can be dance, rock climbing, surfing, whatever, martial arts. And they gain these broad general skills and they learn about their own interests and they learn about their own abilities. And they actually delay focusing on just one thing until later than their peers who sort of plateau at lower levels. And so I was surprised to see that because it contradicted first, it contradicted what I thought was my, my common sense, which apparently was not so sensible. Um, but also what I had been hearing. And so I said, gosh, if we're kind of giving people the wrong message for developing in sports, I wonder if that's the same in other areas. And when I looked into that research, I found that was the case that again, there's a ton of variation, but that the people who sort of tend to go on to the highest levels in what they do have this sort of very diverse background experiences that, that give them a unique set of skills. And that I uh, kept seeing that in one industry after another. So that sort of motivated me to write the book. That Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, you talked about, you introduced your book almost as a 10,000 hours book. Like you introduced Tiger Woods and his very famously known for being a golfer who started, I believe at seven months or very young. Mm-hmm. And it, you introduce your book and you give all this evidence that's like, well, here, this this is the 10,000 hours camp, that this is what people are saying. And it seems like very strong evidence, like that Tiger Woods is one of the world's best golfers, if not in history, at, at least currently one of them now, if not the best. So it's very interesting. And then you slowly refute all of this evidence by all these other examples that a lot of people maybe don't forget about, but don't know exactly the origins to. It's, I find that very fascinating. I appreciate you th- that you picked up on that structure. And, and sort of the reason I did that is because I was thinking about how I myself had been confused or I had the wrong notion. And so I sort of laid out the book in the sense of putting what I thought <laughs> had thought first 
and then following it up with the things that I that I learned because that that made a big impression on me. You know, seeing stories like the Tiger Woods story and assuming that that was a good representation for everything, and then finding out that it wasn't. You know, and and then seeing like after the Tiger Woods story in the introduction of the book, I tell the Roger Federer story where. Uh, Federer is every bit as famous as Tiger Woods as an adult, but even people who follow tennis don't know anything about his backstory. The fact that he played a dozen different sports, uh, that when his coaches wanted him to focus just on tennis, he, he refused and, and kept doing you know other sports, but we never hear that story. And so we just sort of tell the Tiger Woods story. And I think that's, you know, I, I think that's for a couple of reasons. One, it's very dramatic. Like you can go on YouTube and see him at two years old on national television, you know, showing off his golf swing. So it's very uh, attractive, but also it feels like this sort of very tidy story that we can apply to anything we want to do in our own lives. And that's where I think the real problem creeps in because it turns out that if you look at the science of how people develop skills, golf turns out to be like almost a uniquely horrible example of almost everything else that people want to learn because of how repetitive it is and non-dynamic and not involving lots of people and things like that. And so I started to see that as a real problem for the way we sort of use that story to encourage people to be a certain way when the science is saying, actually, maybe that's, maybe that works in golf, but we should not take it to other areas, basically. Yeah, that's very fascinating. A lot. So we always ask people what life advice they recommend for teenagers and other people. And we'll ask you that at the end of the interview. And a lot of them say it's interesting. They always say try lots of things. And we've always wondered why. Recently, we asked Angela Duckworth, um, Dr. Angela Duckworth, the author of Grit about this. And she gave her thoughts. But I'm wondering, it seems to be from what I'm not obviously, maybe I'm not interpreting what all of our guests are saying correctly, but it seems that they're saying try lots of things to find your passion. Would you agree with this? Like why, what's the purpose of trying lots of things? I would totally agree with that. I think, um, and I'm glad you mentioned Angela, because if you Google her, right about the time Range came out, I've subscribed to her newsletter. And if you, one of them was titled Summer is for Sampling. And if you Google it, she says like, we know grit's important, but parents ask me, you know, what does that look like in a young person? And she says, well, it means trying lots of different things, but diving into them. And she says, uh, you know, it, she says that it took me, her, 10 years of trying different things as an adult before she found what she was passionate enough about to really use her grit. So I encourage everyone to look at that summer is for sampling where she sort of builds a bridge between some of the things I'm writing about and some of the things she's writing about. But I think you you really hit something important on the head, which is this issue that the scientists who study it call it match quality, which is just a fancy term for describing like the the amount of fit between what you're good at, what you like, and what you actually do. And having good match quality turns out to be really important for your sense of fulfillment as a person, for how 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 long you're likely to stay doing something. Um, you know, all these important, obviously important things. And it turns out, I wish this weren't the case. I wish it was just that, you know, we could just sit around and think and know what those, what our strengths and weaknesses are and what we'll be interested in. But it turns out that the research in this area shows you actually have to go try stuff and then reflect on it in an active way to figure out what worked for you and what didn't, what met your expectations and and what didn't. Um, And so you have, you have to go try these things. There's, there's no other way to learn that stuff. I wish that I sort of wish that weren't the case. It would be nice if we could, if we could shortcut it. Um, 
but it turns out it's not the case. So one of my, probably my favorite quote in range is from uh, Professor Herminia Ibarra, who studies how do people find good fits for themselves in work. And she said, we learn who we are in practice, not in theory, meaning you have to go do stuff to figure out what you like and what you're good at. So it's like, you know, we've probably heard, or at least I heard when I was young, this adage, uh, think before you act. And what Herminia, what Professor Ibarra says is, act and then think. You need to go try stuff and then think about how well it worked. So I think that was a funny way to reverse the old wisdom. That That is a very interesting thing. Uh, it's, you know, you relate this again in your book a lot to science and how specialties, how the more um, specialized people get, actually, it seems the worse that they're doing. Like, obviously, for doctors, for an example, that you need to have, there's a joke, apparently, about left ear surgeons. Yeah. Um, and there's all this stuff that doctors obviously need to be very specialized so that they can perform certain procedures. But at the same time, they also need to have a broad understanding of other things that are going on at the same time to help their patients. I found that very interesting. So another thing that you mentioned um, in your book, especially relating more to our listeners as students, is that struggle is good for them. It's not like if people kind of are hinting at the answers that doesn't grow the same the same learning ability as, you know, if you just gave me a math problem and left me there. So what, what about struggle helps us learn? That's right. And there's a couple things. And so this is, you're talking, this area that you're talking about is so-called desirable difficulties. What psychologists call desirable difficulties, which means things that make learning feel worse, frankly, Um, like you're more frustrated and actually the student themselves will often rate their learning worse and they'll rate their teacher worse because it's hard, but it makes the knowledge not only stick more, so it's easy to remember, but also flexible. So you can use it when you're facing new situations, not just on a test, right? Which is the ultimate goal. And let me give you an example of a study that came out actually right after my book was published. So it's not in there, but it's along the same lines. So in this study, a bunch of um, middle school math classrooms uh, in California were selected randomly for what kind of math teaching the students would get. Some of them got what's called blocked practice, which means like you get some type of problem. What, what probably used to this from homework work sets. Like you get a certain type of problem and you do it over and over and over and over and over. And then you get the next type and you do it over and over and over and over. And you know, you so you start just sort of executing the same procedures and it feels like you're learning fast and, and people like rate their own learning well. In the other classrooms, got all the problem types all mixed up. So it was like, you needed one strategy for one and, and another. And, and in those cases, the students, this is called interleaved practice or mixed practice is a friendlier term. In that case, students were frustrated, their progress was slower, um, but instead of learning how to just execute a formula, they were learning how to match a strategy to a type of problem. So they were learning what is really the deeper structure of the problem. And in that situation, the stu- progress slower, students more frustrated. They rated their teachers more poorly early on. But when the test came around, where everyone had to had to try to solve new problems that they hadn't seen, those students who had the mixed practice blew the other group away. It wasn't even close, like not even close. And so the, the key is by, by giving the problems in this mixed up order, it made it more difficult, but it forced people to learn how to identify certain things about the problems uh, so they could then solve new problems later on. And this is sort of the theme of desirable difficulties research is all this stuff that makes learning slower in the short term, which can be challenging, right? Because you might have a quiz tomorrow and that might not be the best way for you to actually set up for long-term learning. 
Um, so things that quit testing yourself before you're ready, that forces you to come up with an answer, even if you don't know it, mixing up all the problem types, all this kind of stuff that makes things hard is actually the best for long-term learning, but it's often at odds with, you know, what you're being told to do, which is to only prepare for the short-term cramming essentially, right? Like learning stuff for one week and then forgetting it. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting. All, a lot of our teachers obviously say don't cram, like that's the worst strategy. But it seems to be um, that a lot of, at least for the students, it seems to be, oh, that's just because they want me to actually learn it or something like that. Like, why not just shoot shoot high and get the actual points down and everything? But there's actually scientific research that says don't cram, you're not going to learn it, and you're actually going to do worse down the road in maybe the same class. That's very interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's really, to me, that gets at one of, really the themes of the book, which is this wouldn't have been a very marketable subtitle, but um, that that like sometimes the things you can do that give you a head start, whether that's deciding what your career is going to be, whether that's picking what to study in college, whether that's cramming for a short-term test, they give you the short-term head start, but they will actually undermine your longer-term development, right? So there's this there's this tension between what's the best in the short term and what's the best in the, in the long term, where the best in the long term is often doing this wide variety of things, um, using studying strategies that are really difficult and might impair you in the short term. So it's this tension between what's the best for people developing the short term and the long term. Yeah, that's, that's very fascinating. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So Maddie, here you go. So these are our last two questions. And the first one is, what books have an impact on you and why? I would say, um, I'm going to give you one that's, you know, had an impact on me a while ago, and then the one that's maybe impacted me the most this year. Um, so from a while ago, there's a book called Expert Political Judgment, which is, it's a very like academic book um, by Phil Tetlock, whose work I write about in chapter 10 of Range, and he talks about people who make good forecasts about the world, right, about what, what's coming next. And, and looking at that book, it, it, one of the things that becomes clear in it is that the people that are the most narrowly specialized or focused are the worst forecasters because they, they lose view of everything that's like outside of their, their daily work. And what I think he showed there is that you really have to be challenging your own thinking all the time, because as you become experienced in a certain area, you'll start to just collect information that backs up what you already think. And then if you're not proactively trying to disprove your own ideas, then your judgment is going to be increasingly impaired as you, as you gain experience. And that, that attuned me to some of my own sort of biases of thinking. And I started keeping track of some of my own thinking. Like if I made a prediction after I read that book, if I made a prediction, I would write it down. So I could come back and check on if I had actually done well or not. And, and frankly, that convinced me that I was not as good a forecaster as I would have told someone before I started keeping track, right? So it, it convinced me that I had to work on my own thinking. And I wouldn't have even remembered, I, I would have only remembered the good predictions I made if I hadn't started keeping track. So that had a big influence on me. Um, this year, a book that really influenced me a lot um, is one called The Biggest Bluff by Maria Konnikova. Um, she has a psychology PhD and she wanted to, uh, write about and learn about risk-taking and the balance of luck and skill. And she didn't know anything. She, she said she didn't even know how many cards were in a deck, but she decided to, to start learning how to play poker just as a way to study luck and skill and risk. And one year later, she becomes, she ends up as a pro poker player. Um, and so she writes about this in the book. 
And it's this fascinating examination of how things that we often think are someone succeeding because of skill or failing because of lack of skill are often actually luck, but that we're programmed to not really detect luck very well. And it, it just got me really interested in this idea of, um, you know, being more attuned to how we sometimes mistake luck and skill. Like someone can do all the right stuff and still have a bad outcome because of luck, or they can do all the wrong stuff and have a good outcome because of luck. And I think being aware of that is both humbling um, and, and just, you know, important for people to know, especially since we so often look at somebody who had a success and attribute it only to skill when in fact, there's a lot of luck involved. So I really enjoyed that book. That That's, that, yeah, that's very interesting. That's crazy. I highly recommend it. And she's, she is so interesting, Maria. So one reason I bring it up is because maybe she'd be a good um, interview. Yeah. And I'm happy yeah. We'll, we'll definitely have to um, keep her in, on our list of people that we're going to email. <laughs> Let me know. And I'll, I'll, I'll connect you when the time comes. Awesome. Great, thank you. So, so yeah, oh, go ahead. No, here you go. Okay. So our last question is what advice do you have for teenagers? I would, so we talked a little bit about how you have to experiment to figure out what you're good at and and bad at. First of all, I would say, well, okay. So the most important thing I think when you try things is to take some time to reflect on what you learned, right? Some, you're going to try some things that are going to work, some things that aren't going to work. But most importantly, they're not, they're never failures if you learn something from it. So I would start a little journal. I do this myself. I call it my book of small experiments where I say, Okay, I know that's a silly name, but whatever. Um, it's uh, and I'll write down something I want to learn, a skill I want to explore, something, some job I might be interested, in, but that I don't know a bunch about. And then I'll force myself at least once a month to find a way to investigate that. Whether I talk to somebody, it can be as simple as talking to somebody that works in an area to find out if it's interesting, or taking an online class or whatever it is. And you know, I think it's awesome that you're doing this podcast, right? Because this is a way for you to explore a huge number of areas and be constantly learning. And so you have a system (laughs) for reflecting. (laughs) I would say for people that aren't hosting a podcast, they should have some system, whether that's journaling, you know, you can just open up any kind of document online, whatever, keep it on a website, you know, and, or make, make little videos, memo pad of your phone, whatever it is, say, here's the things I want to investigate or want to learn about, set up a way to do that. And then come back and reflect on whether whether it worked. What met your expectations and what didn't? Uh, What did you learn about your strengths and weaknesses? What were you interested in that you thought you wouldn't be or that you found boring that you thought would be interesting? So I would advise having some system of reflection. It can be as simple as using a recording app on your phone, um, you know, or the notes, the notepad on like your iPhone, whatever, however you want to do it. Or it can be as elaborate as hosting a podcast. Um, but I would have some system for that so that you're learning the maximum amount from everything you try. Yeah, that's, that sounds like great advice. One of the reasons Maddie and I have this podcast is so that we have an excuse to talk to very interesting people like um, you, Mr. David, and, and Dr. Alter and all these other people that we've had. So it's been a, an honor, basically, to be able to have an excuse to talk to everyone. It's an awesome. I mean, I mean the honor is mine. And like I said, as Adam told me, you know, before we connected, he said, trust me, do this interview it's going to be like more fun than 99% of the interviews ever. She said they're, they're really smart. They're really well-prepared. And so I think we're both eager to uh, see both of you be really successful in the future. I, I think that's, there's no question because you're really thoughtful. You're 
proactively learning for yourself. You're coming up with good excuses to to you know expand your own range, to use my own language. So I think it's really cool, which is, and again, which is why I'd be happy to help connect you to other authors if I can. Thank you. That's very kind. Definitely. Thanks. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was awesome having you on. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. was a fascinating interview and I loved having Mr. David on. So what did you think about it, Maddie? I personally loved it. I didn't get the chance to actually read his book. So I only heard a little bit of summary from you and I researched it a little bit and found out what it was. But on the interview, he had such amazing, fascinating points. He reminds me of Paul Jarvis, kind of how both of them kind of took well-known concepts and turned it around and kind of disproved it. And I love that. I love being proved be, things that are commonly found and believed being proven wrong. It's so it was yeah. one of my favorite interviews. I loved it. Yeah, it's like an um, author who decided to be a mythbuster. And and I never actually <laughs> made that. I never made that connection between Paul Jarvis and David Epstein. But that's that's awesome. I really yeah, I really love seriously that is. It's really true. That is. And it was interesting that we've heard this advice all throughout our podcast, try lots of things, mostly therefore to like find your passion. Um, And I find that very interesting that we finally got to hear like the scientific research behind why should we follow, why should we follow our dreams? Well, obviously follow your dreams, but why should we try lots of things? Like what's the science behind that? And I, I believe he gave a very good, like, he had some very good points about it. I thought that was very fascinating. And I liked, like, I love all of our guests and I love all the advice they give and it's incredible. And like you said, a lot of people have said to f- try lots of things or follow your passion, but that's usually all they kind of say. And I love that he gave us examples of what he does. Like what was his, his little book that he writes in and tries a new thing every month. And I thought that was incredible. And he gave us like, you can record it on a phone or something. I thought there was a really cool kind of a call to action on ways that you can go out and do that and actually follow the advice. So I would encourage anyone out there, do that, try new things. If you're interested in, I don't know, skating, <laughs> I don't know. It's the first thing, go and research skating. Like, I feel like that his advice would really benefit a lot of people. I, I believe so too. And I love that book name. Um, I don't have a book like that. I just kind of have a podcast that I publish to people. <laughs> but it's um, We just have a podcast. Yeah, we just have a podcast. And this is kind of, well, as I said in the interview, this is kind of how we show what we're interested in. I get an excuse and Maddie gets an excuse and you guys get an excuse to hear from all these interesting people because it's like, wow, this is awesome. We have an excuse to talk to them. We love it. Yeah, we're exploring all the different careers and stuff that we may want to do just through a podcast, not a journal. Yeah, it's very fascinating. And then go check out his books. Those all sound very amazing. And I believe we'll be checking those out too. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, his advice is basically try lots of things. Yeah, it's great advice. Go follow it, people. Yeah, for sure. You can read his entire book on why, basically. It was very interesting. Yeah, that'll be fun. I definitely want to go back and read that book. Yeah, it was actually in a, a very incredible book. So definitely go check that out. Just like uh, Dr. Alter, who we also read his book. Those are both two great books, along with all the authors that we've had on. All their books are great, That, from what I've read. Yeah. So our announcement section, um, check out our website, as always, aimingforthemoon.com. We have our guest pages. So if you want to see what um, Mr. David looks like, Mr. David Epstein, Dr. Adam Alter, Dr. Angela Duckworth, I believe this episode released around that same time. 
um, all of these people, we have a guest page on them. We have links to their books. So if you want to go check out their books um, and all this interesting stuff. Yeah. And like I said in the last episode or some of the previous episodes, I have found Deep Work by Cal Newport and I will start reading it. And I'll get Maddie's opinion out on that soon. For sure. If anyone knows Cal Newport, hook us up. Our email is on our website. So that would be a great guest connection. Uh, if you have any guest recommendations, you can hook us up on our website. So yeah, just we email have a contact us. page. Yeah. And yes, rate. I think that's s- it. Subscribe. Share the podcast if you haven't already. And don't forget. Set your set tie. And aim for the moon. <laughs>